And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we are discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Long Weekend. Written by Bridget Bedard, Andre Giacometten, Maria Giacometten, and Matthew Weiner, directed by Tim Hunter. This episode originally aired on September 27th, 2007. All right, for hit movies uh, during that week, three new movies opening in the top uh, top three of the box office, including the classic we all remember called The Game Plan, starring The Rock, which I actually do remember, about an NFL quarterback living the bachelor lifestyle, discovering he has an eight-year-old daughter from a previous relationship. All I remember was that the little girl was super cute and tutus were involved. Unless I'm mistaking it for the Tooth Fairy. Uh, opening at number two was The Kingdom, starring Jamie Foxx, Chris Cooper, and Jennifer Garner. And in third was the latest Resident Evil film, Resident Evil Extinction. Hit song. We have a new number one this week. It's Stronger by Kanye West, a song I do actually remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in this episode of Mad Men, Betty takes a family vacation, kind of. Roger visits the doctor, and Dawn opens up. Kind of a loaded episode, guys. What do you think? It is. Just a little bit. Betty takes family vacation without all of the family, minus one mom and one husband. Right. Sorry, I Mrs. Draper. was pretty confused at the beginning of the episode. Like, I don't know why I didn't just assume that Betty's dad had a girlfriend, but whenever that scene opens and there's like, you know, the two... I don't want to say like elderly, but there's like the two older people there. I was like, okay, I know Betty's mom is dead. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not her. But my first thought wasn't, oh, that must be her dad's girlfriend. Like, I don't know. It does seem like she's he suddenly had someone to replace a uh, place dear late mom. It's interesting because it's nothing that we didn't know about it so i wonder if betty knew about this relationship or if they just showed up at the door like ready to go on the vacation and she was already there yeah it's hard to tell because sally refers to her as aunt gloria oh wow i didn't even catch that i heard the aunt and i went is this a lady friend yeah i mean that's better than grandma like that would have been a big problem. So I don't actually know if there's been some adjustment period or how long they've been together. I mean, you could say, well, you know, she's coming along on this family vacation, but this guy is probably in his, I'm going to guess, 60s, uh, assuming he didn't have, have Betty too early in life. But I mean, at some point you're just like, no, we got to get on this. We don't have that long left. Right. And uh, not to be like crass or anything but I don't think you're as picky at that <laughs> age um <laughs> well you always hear stories about like the nursing homes and everything or like all those like retired communities in Florida where you have like such rampant high uh incidences of STDs uh -huh. and you know, you see the social events where it's like mostly women and they're all like kind of vying to see who gets to dance with the few men who are there. And the men will tell you, yeah, no, the ratios work really well in our favor. The differences in, in Betty's and Don's responses to Gloria are like on one level understandable, but I also think like they're interesting too because Don basically calls it a level of, of 
Gene, I think that's um I think that's Betty's dad's name. Basically and, and Don doesn't use these words, I'm gonna use these words, but this like learned helplessness, right? Where it's uh-huh. like you, you know, your dad and your mom were married for like forty or forty or fifty some years and he doesn't know how to make dinner and he doesn't know how to wash his clothes and he doesn't do this laundry and blah 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 blah. So cut him some slack because he needs someone to take care of them. And then Betty's like, Okay, we're affluent, he can just hire a housekeeper and then Don says, yeah, but the housekeeper doesn't stay overnight. And it's just like, so we get a little insight into, I think, Don's biases and how Don processes where he is is ascribing kind of, you know, the, the, the sexual kind of relationship component as just part of the deal that goes with having someone to cook and clean and wash for me and everything else, which is pretty shitty. I mean, and pretty interesting coming from the man who we have seen actively turn down his wife. Mm-hmm. There is one reading of the conversations between Don and Betty before Betty and her father and, the you know, the rest of the gang leave for this vacation. You know, a generous reading is that, like, Betty should let her dad be happy. It's not... Mm-hmm. It's not up to her how her father processes his grief. If if this was a different time, those conversations would maybe be able to be had. Um, obviously not the way that like family structures are in the 60s. Obviously not with this particular family, especially just like with Betty, we've seen that that's not the relationship she had with either of her parents based on, you know, the work she's doing in therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. But on another hand, Don is being like pretty dismissive of her, given the fact that he does know everything that goes on in her therapy appointments. So he knows that like the catalyst of a lot of her struggles are, is the death of her mom. And so it would have been nice for him to be, I think a little bit more outright supportive when, like I said, like a generous reading is that like, he's, he's being kind enough to both people in this scenario saying like, listen, like just go have a good time. You're not going to have to do the work. Like let your dad be happy, which I don't think is incorrect, but like, Obviously, what she wanted more than the suitcase down from the self was like, hi, please be on my side. Yeah, it sounded like she just really wanted some support in that situation. But I mean, just to be on basically kind of everyone's side here, you've got Don, who's we learn later um, a lot of, you know, his parents both suffered losses and uh, he didn't get to witness a lot of that familiar romantic and partnership love between a married couple so to him it's just kind of like meh and but then you have Betty who really should be more understanding about her father having lost his wife of of however many years and all that but she's like you said she's still grieving with her own mother and when you have that really complicated relationship with your mother with your with a parent it it feel like it just complicates the grieving process because there's so much unspoken so much that was left uh, unresolved and it's so hard for her she's so lost in her own grief it's so hard for her to process that someone else is okay with how things are and has moved on yeah and just later in the episode while we're talking about Betty um, you know she goes even deeper she really really does open up to Don about how bothered she is with this relationship 
um, talking about, you know, how much she misses her mother, how her dad was basically treating Gloria the same way he would have treated her mother, like, in situations. And, you know, she was open and honest saying, like, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I try to stop thinking about this and I can't, which is what we wanted for Betty. It's what her therapist wanted was for her to open up and you know, talk through these things and like you, we can see her doing the work to do it. And I think it, that makes what Dawn is doing in this episode hurt a little bit more. And she reminded him to eat <laughs> like she just loves Dawn. And even though she's like struggling, she's just like trying to be helpful. Like I'll come be there with you. If not, like, don't forget to have a sandwich. And he's like, Oh, I'm just going to do like all my Dawn shit instead. Because that's her place as the wife is to take care of him. And that's what her mother was to her father. And now she's gone. And some other woman has taken the role of taking care of the man. And maybe that's something she's having a hard time dealing with, too. Because she's, if she's not around for Don and he's okay on his own, and know where I'm going with that thought. Somehow it's related. And Don dismissing it just kind of makes it seem like she... It's kind of like signaling to Betty that what she is feeling is abnormal and that she shouldn't feel that way. And it just makes me sad for her. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more when we get uh, deeper into the Don stuff because he obviously knows that these aren't casual feelings and fears. Like, There's a lot of references to like lying on a couch and working through issues here, huh? Yep, <laughs> yep. Between Betty's therapist, between... Don using I know what shot Rachel's, you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the really uncomfortable shot. We'll talk about that. And uh, and Peggy's reference to Pete and his sofa. Do we want to go to Peggy and Pete next? Yeah, May as well. Pete, you'll He's all be so- happy to know nothing's changed. We still hate Pete. He keeps giving us a reason to. He's almost like the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, the problem is you can't return him. He's not like a chip and dip. <laughs> yeah thank god we don't have two we won't can't even get store credit for him the the thing with like pete and, and i'll kind of like rope in his his compatriots here with the hitler youth and i didn't put this in in with the notes but just go with me but like did the grossness from pete and like the rest of the so-called um hitler, hitler youth as as kinsey calls them earlier which i'm including him in now it kind of felt like a lot of that stuff was dialed up to 11 again from like it was in the early couple episodes. Did did you both feel that too or no? It was definitely up there in that it did seem like a return to form. Yeah. Where any like sense of humanity or like depth that we've had, what little we've seen since then has been obliterated and we're just back to surface crap. Yeah, I mean, like, even Sal, you too? Sal. I don't know what it was. It was just that room full of twins that just kind of, like, amped everything up and made them feel like they had to bring their A-game of shittiness. Yeah. And the pee thing, I mean, happened before uh, the twins arrived. That's but yeah, it's just a fun start to all of it. How do you feel about this con? So this is the only time really we get any of Pete or Peggy. How do you feel about this conversation? I love Peggy so much. 
I just do you, do, can you imagine like episode one or two Betty have like saying the things that she did no in this episode but, but the thing is it's like kind of because one of the very first things she says is like oh I always try to be honest and that has been true this whole time but like I could have stood up on my couch and like clapped she gives Pete this like just incredulous look and she says I cannot believe I'm in this conversation he actually has the gall to say to tell her that she's being unprofessional when she's just trying to do her damn job I right I'm being unprofessional you have now disrupted the flow of my work day to discuss our illicit affair that you're apparently yeah. pretending did not happen. No, I just think it's it's like interesting talking about like Peggy's change ten episodes in from from episode one, where Peter expects to be able to look into like the file that she's carrying, even though it's 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 Ken's account, and we know based on what Pete pulled the stunt that he pulled earlier in the season in that meeting that Don had thrown out the research and Peggy had let. Um, Pete, that's his name. I already forgotten his name. This is the day I'm having. Had let Pete back into the office to pull the research out for him to pull, pull out in the Lucky Strike meeting. So Pete's trying to do that again and get a leg up and use use Peggy as a, a peg or use their, their relationship for Peggy to, to give him a, a peek into the window. Um, or the file, I should say. And, and she says no, and he's incredulous because she says no. He can't handle it. Right? And that's the... The second time we've seen from Peggy where she's faced with a similar choice that she had earlier in the in the season and then chooses the different one. I'm thinking of last week when Joan's like, what's going on with Dawn? And she's like, I don't know, but if I did, I wouldn't tell you. And she's like, and Joan was like, good girl, right? So again, mm. Peggy is, is learning. She's adapting. Definitely compared to who she was in the first third of the season. Do you think that her success as a copywriter uh, is playing a significant role or is it just part of a larger progression towards being this more self-possessed individual? I think it's a bit of both probably. I think, I think it's part of the, the bigger kind of progression, but I, I think that part of that is the confidence of being like the first woman to write copy at Sterling Cooper. Right. Yeah. I think both things feed into each other because it is her like, always honest doesn't seem to really care that much about fitting in the way that you know like Joan would have in her scenario Mm -hmm. that's how she got the opportunity to write copy in the first place was by being herself (laughs) you know saying like I didn't try on a lipstick I don't want to be a color basket full of kisses yada yada um and that paid off so why not keep doing it Yeah, I really enjoy seeing her trust her own instincts more and not letting someone try to not let someone convince her that she's wrong. And I I love that because so many other women are we see them fall for that. Um, She does sort of it's kind of almost a, a, a threat, though, when she makes that comment where she's like, oh, wow, it sounds like we have some some uh I have some real issues that I should lie down on your couch and you can help me work through it you know like she's gonna be like I know the truth and it's kind of like her weapon when she made that comment about like oh I heard all about it do you need me to go lay back down on your couch like I took that more of her saying like do you need to work out your shit some more 
because I'm the one handling everybody's business. <laughs> oh, that's so funny to get the the two different reasons. I definitely thought it was just like, no, because like I know what's real and and honesty has kind of been her, her backbone and strength. Mm-hmm. But of course, men like Pete, they don't like, they're not used to being threatened. They don't like being threatened. And he just turns into like this vicious defensive animal and pulls out that line of, you know, that's some imagination you got. Like he knows because I think they both know that he's what happened happened and he knows that if anything came out he's the one who's going to come out looking fine and she's the one who everything's going to be weaponized against right that line about her imagination felt so gross to me like it felt like gaslighting mm-hmm. and I think I he knows that to run away yeah I think he he knows that she knows what happened and like again it's this thing that it was like to me it was just like something that was turned against her that could be easily turned against her mm-hmm. more than anything and it reminded me of the scene that i i think been thinking about a lot in the past year or so um because i just to remind myself that i was an english major in my past life <laughs> i saw william shakespeare's measure for measure which is not a frequently performed play but uh, it's been getting a lot more traction in the past couple years. And it, there's this guy, Angelo, who was temporarily made governor of this one city. And he uses his powers to essentially blackmail a nun to sleep with him to <gasps> save her imprisoned brother from being executed. And when she's like, I'm going to tell everyone what the, what the fuck you're doing. And he says to her, who will believe the Isabel? Uh-huh. Who will believe thee, Isabel, my unsoiled name, the austereness of my life, my vouch against you, and my place in the state will so your accusation, accusation overweigh that you shall stifle in your own report and smell of calumny, which is another word for slander. And then he says some more stuff because guys like that like to talk a lot and disappears. Mm-hmm. And she has a monologue. Um, and this part in particular, I feel like a lot of women have are, are quite familiar with in their own heads. She said, to whom should I complain? Did I tell this? Who would believe me? And it really sucks that this scene comes out so many times in something from like the 1700s and this thing is set in the 60s and it came out in 2007 and even today in 2019 is still so awfully relevant and it makes me really upset. It all sucks and it's a scene that we've seen time and time again and it makes me feel for Peggy but mostly just makes me mad. It mostly just makes me mad. Yeah. I mean, especially when that's something that we saw play out um, in our politics a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't feel like it's getting better. It feels like it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. And this is also, like, the story of all the Weinstein stories that came out. Mm-hmm. He's like, go ahead. No one's going to believe you. I have all the power. Um, We should maybe mention... Matthew Weiner, the creator of this show. Ah, the inherent irony of a man creating these stories as if he's making a statement about them, but, you know, fairly complicit and and a partaker of such bullying behavior. Perpetuating. It's ironic in that it's sad. On the other hand of the angry female spectrum, we have Joan. Who got to do a lot more this uh, episode than she normally does, which I was really happy for. I really enjoyed 
I enjoyed the time spent with Joan today. Um, well, today, this episode. <laughs> I can't say that I necessarily, like, I'm not 100% with her. I think I understand a little bit more maybe where she's coming from. But mm-hmm. she's still someone who I don't quite trust. She does still seem to be a product of the patriarchy for all her inherent personal, I don't know, drive, strength. Um, up until now, every time we have seen her, it's always someone pers- pursuing her, or it's her, like, quote-unquote, guiding Peggy. Mm-hmm. And she fits a certain, like, feminine mold. But in the past couple of episodes, I don't know if you guys have gotten it, but I always feel like Joan was, like, on the def- the defense when it came to Roger, and he was always chasing her and trying to convince her to go out. And she's always just like, fuck it, dude. I said no. I got mm-hmm. shit to do. Uh, so like half the time I'm like, are you really into him or do you just feel like you kind of got to play this game to keep your job because you kind of like him? He's kind of cute, but also you don't want to. Yeah, it really seems like our introduction to their relationship was the beginning of the end of their relationship rather than Mm. what it seemed like at first, which was like a scene, you know, right in the middle or even in the ramp up. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't really been playing out that way. It's been mostly kind of sad for Roger, really. And then we see him, like, act out a lot because of it. Yeah. And when she gets very... When her friend Carol comes to talk to her and... You just see her... You see, I think, a much softer side to her than you do when she's talking to Peggy or one of the other ladies. And it sounds like that we she's known Carol since they were in college. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice to see. I chuckled when she was like, did we have lunch? It's 1030. Even I can't leave this early. (laughs) She's so good. (laughs) I can basically do whatever I want, but 1030 is pushing it. And once she talked, when she, once she and Carol are sitting down, that like slight veneer of like artifice that she tends to have, you kind of see it fall away and you see the empathy she has for Carol. And, um, I enjoy that she was very sympathetic, just saying, you know, these men were constantly building them up. uh, And for what? Dinner, jewelry, who cares? And I like that. But sometimes, like, we haven't really seen that, like, a a, a hints of that in her story up until now. So Mm -hmm. I found it kind of an abrupt turn. What do you guys think? I think it kind of goes back to something we said about Peggy and we are trying to kind of understand her a bit more. And, like what we had said a couple weeks ago was that we had only seen Peggy at work. And I think with Carol and, and Joan specifically this episode in it, I know we had seen Joan outside of the office, like when her relationship with Roger was revealed and, and, and everything else. But when you, when you mentioned like her Joan dropping kind of that, that veneer or, you know, kind of that her, her body language changing and, her tone and things like that with Carol. I think this week is still is probably the first time we spent with Joan where we can kind of begin to see who Joan is outside of work, outside of her relationship with Roger and kind of like where, where she's kind of coming from. Um, and, and how like, and then it's a sexual, the episode talks about, you know, how she connects with, um, the Billy Wilder film, The Apartment, and Sean McLean's character, when she uses that as, you know, ammo against, against Roger as part of, you know, rebuffing him and everything else. 
But like I think for me this is the first time or the first window really into not who Joan is fully, but like who Joan is, some of those other aspects of her life and what she's she's really looking for. Because like again, maybe similar to how Don or, or some of the other characters kind of play roles or play parts, we've just seen Joan playing a part, whether it's, you know, the you know, tough big sister, you know, mentor or whatever to to Peggy or, you know, different roles to, to playing a different part for, for Roger or, you know, other women at the, or other people at the office or whatever. I think this was the first week we kind of see that other aspect of Joan where she's unguarded. But that being said, I don't know if Joan's a, char- a person, character, whatever, person, who like likes being unguarded because whenever she's confronted with something that makes her really uncomfortable, she finds a way or seems to find a way to go into a mode where it is one of those roles that then she can play, right? Um, or putting up, up walls again, like with, with Carol or then going out, you know, and picking up those, those men and, and things like that. Like it's all, I don't know. Well, so what do you think? No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, when we... She seems genuinely um, upset on Carol's behalf when she finds out that, like, Carol lost this job. Um, you know, she's she's genuinely supportive when she says, you know, there's never enough money. It's fine if you need to ask your parents for more. Um, but then... When Carol confesses to her that she has these other feelings for her, she immediately goes into, like, caretaker mode again, or, like, a mentor mode, saying, like, oh, let's Stepford just... secretary turns on. Go out, and you'll feel better. Like, basically... You've had a hard day. You've had a hard day, like... You know, instead of confronting a vulnerable situation or putting herself in a position of revealing anything, she, yeah, immediately reverts back to that role that she's comfortable in, which is um, trying to be helpful, but actually kind of being a little mean. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like almost like you can almost see the walls that you were talking about, Matt, just like get rebuilt up going, okay, this isn't my safe space either because this is yet just another person who wants to sleep with me mm-hmm. because it's 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 you kind of understand it because being someone who's very you know has this very exaggerated feminine shape you can imagine she probably had that early on a lot of people have like weaponized it against her and now like this person who you can see all the performance because like we talk about the the guys at work and how they are like always performing for each other she has her own and you can see genuine joan and that all goes away as soon as she realizes what carol's saying and it just makes me really sad for her because it's like she doesn't have anyone to confide in either she's kind of like betty in that sense where she was just like placed on a pedestal meant to be pretty and admired and to be one i know we've talked about this before but i i can't remember if it was on on the podcast or, or not and this will sound like to some people a, a 
drastic comparison, but you have to understand that I, I am trash for the Lannisters and really sympathetic to them. But like it's been it's been interesting kind of rewatching Mad Men post twenty eleven and, and kind of, you know, the end of Game of Thrones and everything else. And like I just I feel a lot of the same feelings for Joan right now that I had for earlier season like Cersei Lannister and I think that that's interesting when we talk about playing roles because the system allows them a certain kind of power within the role and then also then being limited by that and it being based on appearance and what you know sexuality and femininity and and, and things like that so I think it's it's interesting for me to compare and contrast I think that's kind of why like I think that's why Joan does enjoy playing up that role of like, I'm here to be like sexy and cute and flirt with the boys and I'm looking for a husband, but I don't really think she wants a husband. I think she could find one any day that she wanted one. It could even be someone rich or super handsome, whatever she wanted, she could have it, but I don't think it's actually what she's looking for. I don't, I think it's why she keeps, you know, telling Roger going, please stop talking about leaving your wife. That's not, not at all. Uh, I think she, because she says to Carol at some point, who's just like, I hate the city. She says, this city is everything. I think she loves being in the city and having Mm -hmm. this, like, control over her little kingdom, whatever it is. I I think she does love it and, but also feels like she has to fit this idea of what a woman in her position should be, which is just, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking to settle down in the country. Or that's how she's figured out how to maintain the lifestyle that she wants is to keep these people close enough to kind of um I guess I don't want to put like I don't want to put stuff on her that's not happening but Mm. you know I assume they're out of the bar these men are buying her drinks like I assume Roger buys her gifts like you know we think that maybe a little bit of this behavior is how she got you know in her position at work so it's Mm. like she needs to play into these roles in order to keep her position secure in the city that she loves Mm. because manhattan isn't built for single women Mm -hmm. you guys want a sexy secretary i'll give you a sexy secretary fine Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and just like, I mean, everyone treats her like a sexual object anyway, so she may as well use it to her advantage, I guess. Oh, Joan. I still don't necessarily like her, and like you said, Melissa, I don't really think I trust her, but I, I sim- have so much sympathy for her. There's no safe space for her. You know who I really have sympathy for? Mm. Carol. Oh, Carol. Because... She was just in love. Yeah, and she made herself really vulnerable to Joan, and I kind of wonder if she chose that day to do so because of, like, how kind and supportive and understanding Joan was about what she was going through, you know, on that particular day losing her job. Um, But then, you know, Joan kind of rejects her overtures and then leaves her (laughs) alone with a strange man in the house good work yeah that part not so great i mean i'm still kind of wondering how i feel about how joan put her down like in the way that could that was most comfortable for her because i mean in considering that time period talking about it openly or like even understanding it and processing it 
not something people are very adept at doing. So I'm not part of me wonders if that was like the best possible way that Joan uh, with her li- personal limitations could respond as opposed to just completely right. rejecting her and shaming her or kicking her out. She was just like quite understanding. I know it's happening here, but it's not happening here. And we're d- I'm going to give you an out and say that you're just tired and talking nonsense and we're going to go out and live life like we're supposed to. I don't know. I mean, even in this day and age, just someone coming out to you and and that's still hard to navigate. And it would, especially in this time when it isn't, um, you know, it isn't as acceptable and it's not even necessary. Not that it's like being, you know, queer in any way isn't, you know, always 100% safe even today, but it especially wasn't in that time and it wouldn't have been something that a person like Joan who spends so much time fitting into existing expectations and structures that's not something that Joan would ever consider because she's Mm -hmm. not one for upsetting the status quo Um, she just isn't at least so far I don't think that we've seen that yeah and at least in the end I mean at least Carol knew that she was it still seemed like Carol still had a place in their shared apartment Mm-hmm. which is a lot that I in my mind that's a lot in that time yeah it, it could have gone worse yeah it still I think sucks that's probably though. something to say about the difference between women and men in this time and in those relationships because mm-hmm. within the comfort of a friendship and in your own home is a different um, admission than like say Sal in the bar mm-hmm because I'm mean, yeah because Sal is someone who also has to try to protect himself and mm-hmm. does it in kind of a gross way and not helpful kind of way <laughs> it still sucks though that Carol ends up alone with that guy and she just looks like she's gonna break out into tears after he kisses her oh, and I for know. some reason that is not a turnoff and she's just like sure whatever you want and he just whatever goes for it you want it yeah, that's really hard to watch. I don't want anybody to be in that position. Mm-mm. Meanwhile, fucking Roger Ugh. is buying into the fake lesbian thing, but with twins. Dude. Yay. PSA, this like twin fetish needs to die. It really Thank should you. never have been born. Never should have. But I would like to uh, kill it if we can. <laughs> yeah, I think so. This was set in sixties. Show came out in two thousand seven. It's two thousand, I think. Nineteen. I think we're good. Yeah, we've been good. And of course, a casting call requiring twins just gave the guys <sighs> so much opportunity to be super gross, like. Double the gross, just to make up for it. Everybody's being gross. And Roger, especially, seems to call out the little underlings for being gross. And then just slides right in and takes their place, doing the exact same shit. 
Yeah, he's like, juniors, let me just show you how a real man does it, but also leave. And it's not much better. It's maybe a little more charming to the girls, but it's not. I think there is something to be said for just the optics of one person in the casting hallway creeping around rather than a literal pack of vultures. But who has the, like, like... I don't disagree, but where, like, I got extra uncomfortable watching that. And, like, it's it's uncomfortable, like, no matter what, and there are layers and things like that. But, like, the idea of, like, Roger having his name on, not just on a door, on the literal door, like, in the entryway. Mm-hmm. And the way that, like, he uses his power as the the Sterling of Sterling Cooper... Second generation, mind you, but still, his name's on the door, his dad's dead, right? To be like, oh, well, we're, uh, now I'm going to skew these, you know, peons away. They're being, like, body and whatever. Like, okay, yeah, they're out. Oh, by the way, you guys are really pretty. Oh, by the way, you have the job now. Oh, let's go have a drink. Yeah. Right? Like. It's really bad. Like. He's like, I have the authority. He's like, I've got the authority to make the choice right here, right now, guys. Bye, everyone else. And it's even it's highlighted um when he later asks if he can touch her skin which Uh. like at least he asks but she offers her arm and he touches her leg which like fucking gross but she says after all i do work here now um yeah do you okay yeah maybe you do and maybe you don't that's arguable but also like working there doesn't mean now there's touching like Mm -hmm. i'm so sorry for your brain that this is the world that you are living in that this you're like oh well i mean yeah i work here definitely you're the boss gotta do this touch me like ugh. well because you know flouting his power and authority didn't work on joan so he's found some younger, more vulnerable prey. They're only 20 years old. Although Mirabelle, I quite enjoyed her a little bit because she she knows what's going on. I think she's like actually stating what's happening. Like when she says, well, you're the, you know, I work here now. This is, I don't actually want this, but I feel like this is, ha- this is just what's happening. Or when Roger's making jokes and she says, oh my, everything he says means something too. I'm like, all right. You're walking into this line sin with your eyes open, and I'm really sorry that you think you have to. Yeah. I did like that line, though. Like, yes. Yes, it does. Because she's also the one who calls him out when he's just like, why didn't you guys just kiss a little? She's like, why? What? Why? Why, why? does everybody say that? Honestly, girl, I don't know. I apologize. I'm... I, I don't see the appeal of, like incest i i mean i know it exists i'm sorry if if that's something you're into i but don't also feel no. like you have to apologize for that yeah also just no stop stop trying to make women one pretend to be gay for your own benefit especially if you're using your authority and your age about to do it two just just don't just don't Nah. 
And as we learned in Betty's ep- modeling episode, just because they've told you that you've got the job doesn't mean you really have the job. Yeah, no kidding. And now Roger's nearly dead. So like, who's going to even know that they have the job? Yeah, Cano is just on, frankly. So I think, and I'm sure this has probably been observed before and, and written about, it's not like direct marketing. I'm, so I'm not claiming to be Pete Campbell and claim I like, you know, invented the, the thing or whatever, but I did arrive at this independently. So in that case, maybe I'm <laughs> Pete Campbell. Um, I think I've cracked why Roger is on this show. Okay. Okay. Right. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to like bear with me here and I'm, I'm interested to see what you both have to think of this. Um, he exists as a contrast or a foil for Don. So we like Don more hmm. and not that, cause we obviously have rightfully so we'll always have mixed feelings of Don. And I think the show wants us to have mixed feelings, but it wants to present another path. And what I mean is like, so many, and I know that I have done this too. So many of us, specifically um, cis men, we tend to, especially a hetero cis men, um, compare our behavior to each other, right? So we build up our own sense of superiority or our own sense of self and then our moral standing based on how we perceive our own actions and the result of our actions in response to our peer group. Right. So we build we build ourselves up because we're better than someone else. Roger's bad, but I'm Don. I'm one of the good ones. So I'm better. I am here because Roger made me be here because we lost the Dr. Scholl's account. And at least I could do because he wanted a wingman. So I'm here. I'm not engaging. I'm not being the creep that's, you know, trying to, you know, encourage, you know, forced forced um incest or anything else like that no no i'm just here i'm just observing it's like you know i'm not being gross like roger i mean he's complicit in it because he's there but this is like the psychology of it right by, by my pop psychologist and analysis i'm like lucy from peanuts here it's like we're done like i'm not i'm not a roger and as long as i'm with roger i can feel better about myself and my behavior because roger is a worse and where i'm wondering too is if the episode where i think the episode wants us to to think this and be in this headspace a bit too um is how, the difference between how eleanor so mirabelle's sister who then like she's the one actively pursuing dawn they're mm-hmm. like oh no like and I totally get totally fair I would ask Don to stay with me too if, you know, when Don was like trying to leave and, you know, Eleanor decided she, she had, you know, had, had her opportunities, um, at connection or, or relationships or sex. Um, so she was going to let, let Mirabelle have her, her fun with Roger. Fair enough. Definitely don't want to be alone. Totally get that. But then Eleanor and Don go to their office and she's making passes at Don. He's like, says some shitty things about her cell being too hard, but it's like Don is in, in the case of, Don and Eleanor, Don is the one being pursued and he's being seemingly noble in the episode because he's not being gross like Roger and then he's rejecting it, right? And this whole kind of thing reminded me where like, again, we see like Don being rewarded for not being a Roger. And like, it kind of reminds me and like the rest of my rant is incoming. So I apologize, um, timestamp it now. But it's like how we, how we treat and reward men reminds me of how men weaponize their allyship, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's, you know, through any kind of the branches of, of intersectional feminism or whatever, but they use their allyship 
as a the allyship to the oppressed as a stick to beat other men of privilege right so well in, in a lot of cases i'm sure the desire is there and it's good but then they kind of clothe themselves in this self-righteousness and they sent and this is where it gets really problematic for me as an admitted cishet man um so i'm curious to hear your thoughts i'm almost done but like they center themselves in the narrative and it's about them beating other men for not being like you know thinking enough or not being you know strong enough allies or like whatever and it becomes a story about those two privileged groups fighting and not about you know actually the oppressed and the marginalized and rant what do you both think (laughs) there was definitely a moment when i was watching and i was thinking that roger represents this ideal of a man that in in don's era in the area of Mad Men, is already outdated um Mm. but yeah so i think it does like you said give don room to think i'm more progressive i am still better than that i am the hero that i want to be and i'm I'm, please don't roll your eyes at me it does remind me of um uh, daniel sauce's special on hbo it's called x it's fabulous where he talks about you know when all the me too stuff and the weinstein stories come out he's this like 28 year old male scottish comedian He's talking about, you know, he goes through his memories being one being like, one, that's, oh, that's horrible. That happened too. I'm going to just quietly go through my memories, make sure I'm not one of those guys who did something terrible. No, I'm good. Okay, fine. So I'm not, I'm just going to stop examining my own personal behavior right now because I'm good. And then having to learn over time the, the, the problem with not actually with being more complicit with that kind of behavior and not actually standing up or doing anything and being an upstanding individual who self-examines. So I think you're definitely onto something here with with Roger's function as a character because otherwise he's just kind of annoying and, and it's true. Next to Roger, half the time, we're like, yeah, Don could be worse. And Don is probably looking at Roger thinking, I could be worse. Melissa, what do you think? Yeah, and I agree with everything that you guys have said. And I fell victim to this while watching the episode because while Roger is out here um, using Maribel like a hobby horse and Dawn is, you know, cracking a joke like, oh, I wouldn't even make it out of the driveway. I was patting Dawn on the back Mm -hmm. for his behavior. Even knowing what I know about him as a person, he did a good thing in <coughs> one situation, and I was like, "Oh, good boy, Don." So, here's a treat for being a basic, decent human being. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm. I don't want to go as far as to say like I'm part of the problem, but I will just be an example of how systemic this this thought and. The, mm-hmm. you know this is the way that how low yeah. the bar is for men <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. i mean it kind of even uh what's in the first episode or whatever episode it was when um pete was just like really upset that don was flirting with rachel menken 
and was just like, I can't, I've never, I've never seen him turn it on like that. I've never seen him lay it on so thick. And he was just like almost surprised that Don was flirting with other women when he was married, as if he hadn't heard the rumors, as if he didn't make the jokes about Don sleeping with the secretary before. We all fall for it. Yeah. Yeah. Before we do move off of, of Roger and, you know, he has, he has the heart attack and he's, he's moaning Mirabelle's name and Don, Don slaps him. is like, Mona, your wife's name is Mona. But later in, in, in the hospital, I do kind of want to, I am a sucker for, for eye acting. Um, that is like one of my weaknesses and the things I look for. And when I think the episode wants us to be sympathetic for Roger, I'm not. But, not happening. You know, <laughs> I, I'm but that being said, as as a self admitted sucker for like eye acting, um, I think Slattery is really good in that scene. Um, he's like bringing some eye acting. I don't <laughs> I don't buy it because Roger, I'm not I'm not I'm not picking up what you're laying down. I'm not not feeling sorry for you now that you have this near death experience and those those tears you have when your your wife comes in have nothing to do with the heart attack. It's your guilt and shame catching up with you. Um, and you deserve it, and you need to live in it, and there need to be consequences for it. But Slattery does some some grade A by Matt's estimation, eye acting and looks and looks away and things there. So uh, kudos to him for that. Oh, his crying was very good. Yeah. It was I just effective crying. Didn't care. I was almost <laughs> more annoyed by his good crying because I'm like, oh, don't feel bad now. Now that you've almost died slash got John Slattery, good. Roger Sterling, not good. Two thumbs down. Worst and of the episode. And then you have, I mean, just to go back to the moment when Don slapped him and reminded him to say his wife's name and not his, like, momentary 20-year-old mistress's name. And also when he was uh, telling Betty what happened, he's like, oh, Roger was at work when it happened and just fell over. I mean, technically true, but like that him covering for him on the one hand, you're yeah. like, oh, loyalty to Sterling. And on the other hand, you're like, oh, helping him no, lie. That's that's the that's the complacency, like that's the com- like complacency of 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 men and the entire like system too, where it's like, I know I'm better than him, but he's still my friend. So I don't, I don't want him to actually have suffer consequences, but I know his shit and I know that like I'm better than him. So I feel better. Sorry, my rant came back. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is also a place for Don to have some some moral superiority where he's just like, I'm so good a guy. I protected my friend. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's not going to come back to bite him the ass the way it did with Carol, who tried to protect that one guy and got fired for for her um, for her good work. Mm hmm. Sorry, guys, I'm just I'm just having an existential crisis right now, so I need to go run to like someone else's door and deal (laughs) with it because I'm scared of my own feelings. So I'll be I'll be right back. All right. All right. We'll wait. We'll be waiting like we always are. (laughs) oh Oh, dear i mean we knew that it was gonna happen something was gonna happen by the end of the episode when we saw rachel reappear in the office with her dad and they had like i mean because you know there's that moment where they're just like we're not gonna address this we're gonna like act professional but also not weird and even roger at some point was just like i know you don't i know she bothers you but yeah i was really impressed with how um perceptive Roger is. I mean, if Don's not careful, Roger's going to get his number. 
Mm-hmm. It's not exactly, he didn't get exactly what's happening, but he knows that there's something there that they're fighting and trying not to, yeah. trying not, trying to hide. But of course, with like a lot of men, something bad happens to someone else and it's suddenly all about them and their feelings. Just tag me <sighs> next time, jeez. <laughs> Sorry to confront you this way, Matt. I've been me. I could have had like a personal conversation with you, but doing it on pod just seemed like the right thing to do. My my main thought was just like Don. Just because your own sense of mortality has been shook thanks to like watching Roger nearly die doesn't mean you have to like literally escaped in Rachel. But there he is, having feelings. Ignoring every time she said no, every time she said this is wrong, every time she said you shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this, I want it, but I don't want it. At one point she says, is this some solar eclipse, the end of the world? You can do whatever you want. She also says you're exhausted. You know, basically the same thing that Joan said, which like I shouldn't compare those two because like Carol is not trash and Don is being trash, but you know. Yeah, Carol is just a victim of the patriarchy. Don is doing his own shit. Yeah. But Rachel and Joan are both trying to get out of these scenarios <laughs> with, like, I think minimal damage. You're tired. You need a nap. Yeah, she's giving him an out to be like, you're clearly not thinking correctly. And he's like, nope, I know exactly what I'm doing, even though he doesn't. And she even tells him all this, what all all the things he's feeling, all the things that are going on, all the things that have brought him to the door, and like he's used to convince himself that this is okay. She says this that's just an excuse for bad behavior, and he tells her you don't really believe that, do you? And yeah, clearly she does. She knows what's happening here. Yeah, and it's so unfair to put the entire burden of not doing this thing on her because she's not the one that's married. Mm Mm-hmm. And She's that's just exactly to what he be does. In her house and mind her own business. And look amazing doing it. Like, God <sighs> damn it. And, you know, he basically like breaks her down slowly with the repetition, with the sexual attraction, and is super close and waiting till he's like literally on top of her on the sofa before he's like, wait, I need you to say that you wanted to. And she, we're like, dude, really? We're at the point already where you have had your way and crossed the threshold. We know what she's going to say now. And, like, now you're ma- oh. Now you leave it like, up to her to make a choice? Leave it to fucking Don Draper to make me annoyed with explicit consent. Because it's definitely not consent. He's Like, you're the only person who could truly fuck that up. Yeah, he's truly coerced her up to this point where she... Ha- like feels almost like it it gives her a a position to say that she's like a willing and equal participant in it but when she's not she's clearly not well and it's like even more complicated because like we saw from the other scene a couple episodes ago like we know that she wants him and like she is allowed to she is doing all of the emotional work for herself and for Don because like she could just give in to what she wanted, but she knows that he's married and it's only going to cause, you know, problems. Like, she should not have to be doing this. Mm-mm. And being the woman, being the single woman especially, and people making comments constantly about how she's basically too old to be so single and working so hard, and she's not the one who's going to come out looking good in any of this. 
Remember when her dad used her as an example of his own progressivism? Jesus. You know what? Uh, on this on this on the spectrum of all that this is, still not the worst thing. Not no, even in no, the middle. No, 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 not at all. And I didn't mean to like equate it, so I, I apologize for that. But also, I do intent. remember. But yeah. But, like, yeah. He also uh, said that Don was too charming for his tastes. Or too dashing, sorry. Yes, too, dashing. too dashing. And I went, yeah. yeah. Trust me, the other Mencken knows. I think it's probably a sign of the times, but like I'm deeply uncomfortable hearing the term daddy used in any of this. That's definitely. Oh, now I'm thinking of Ivanka Trump. Oh, stop. I'm so sorry, everyone. I am so well, sorry. Don says something interesting that I want to pick your brains about um, as part of his coercive plea or, or doing his his pitch if you will once you know with with rachel he has this big like drastic and sorry you see my my hands clapping together where, like he grasps her hand he's like all oh, this is only what's real and it, it's it's this very like high drama where like i feel like this would work better on stage it felt very theatrical and maybe that's the melodrama that they were kind of going for but mm-hmm. like dial it down a bit it's television not you know the stage um or you know but, gone with the wind yeah it's just it's very sweeping all right fair enough um but rachel's like basically and i'm paraphrasing now but it's like i don't even know you like dude like what's your deal and don's like you see me you know me i, I don't i didn't unfortunately I didn't write down these exact quotes in my notes but that's that's like the gist of it but like as we've talked about before don is a man that is looking for an outlet. He is making Rachel do all the emotional labor for both of them, right? Don likes the start of things. This almost is like a pitch. He's he's interested in 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 Rachel. He's expressed that interest, but like it feels very much like he is projecting. Um, he's like, you know who I am. It's like, well, no, you don't let anyone in. You don't let your wife in. You don't let you know, people at the office in. So it's like, you feel seen by this person, but does she actually know you? Or are you just acting like she, you think she knows you? Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do we think about that? I think it's up for question whether Don sees any woman. I mean, this is a problem I think a lot of the characters have, but I think Don in particular doesn't really see any woman as a person. Like all these women, including Betty, are, you know, they fit whatever mold he thinks he has to he has to fill and fix whatever his problems are. This is the the thing that's going to fix everything. He's he's Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 500 Days of Summer where he finds this girl that he gets on with, has really great chemistry with, but also isn't looking for the same things he's looking for, isn't going to be able to provide what he wants. He doesn't seem too interested in offering her what she needs in return. And that's not really uh, a formula for success. She is his manic pixie dream girl. Or whatever it is that like 60s businessmen have as manic pixie dream girls. Yeah, and what's so frustrating about that is, like, she is trying her damnedest to be, like, a rational adult woman. She is doing such good work that she shouldn't be forced to do on her own. Right. 
I'm so mad on her ben- on her behalf. I'm mad on her behalf, and I'm mad on Benny's behalf. Like, this man really just decided to go tell all of his secrets and, like, all about his childhood and, like, about his, like, most, like, past traumas just to, like, essentially a random woman and not his wife. In the very same episode when we see Betty open up to Don about her you know, feelings and fears. And then Don takes his to Rachel. He always, he, he had such a problem with Betty laying on a couch talking about her feelings. There he is lying on someone else's couch and using their boobs as pillows in what looks like a really uncomfortable uh, position, by the way, <laughs> to talk about his feelings and his experiences. And it's like, look, you don't get to judge. I just don't... <sighs> So I wrote, I wrote in my notes um, when Don's revealing that that story at the at the end of the episode to Rachel and kind of filling in some gaps for then us as the audience of things that have been alluded to um, in episode five and then we got the flashbacks in episode eight kind of filling in some of the the gaps or giving us the like Cole's notes of it. But what I wrote in my notes was uh, I don't think Betty knows that story you just told Donald if that is your real name listener <laughs> it isn't um but yeah like like it's and that's like a frustrating thing because like or one of the many frustrating things i should say um because betty is trying to connect and wants to connect and wants wants to know don and don has just decided that she is this daisy buchanan type character like matt decided in in 2008 and 2009 and matt was very 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 wrong um at the time but like this is you this is the box you put in you're not at my level and it's like he's interested in rachel because he feels like she is at his level right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's why she gets him because like well you're kind of like me but is she i don't think so and don's not listening because women aren't people to him right sorry all problem solving. I mean, do you think the fact that it, this relationship's potentially doomed allow him to open up as opposed to opening up to the person who's supposed to be there who promised herself to him till death do they part and that he made the same promise to, that if he tells someone who, you know, it potentially won't be able to be around for a while and that there's going to be obstacles in the way of the relationship he can leave this and then like send it off into the distance as opposed to just facing the daily burden of of looking to the face of someone that you you share the deepest parts of you with or am i projecting now yeah (laughs) i i'm projecting guys i have commitment issues i feel and this is where maybe i'm projecting full disclosure um we're just all projecting all over this place this is why it's interesting i mean that's where Um, criticism it gets real fun right 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 um no but like i would agree with you if we were talking about minch but with how unraveled don became when adam showed up Mm -hmm. if if he if and when this blows up in his face with rachel that's then some potential power she has over him for knowing part of his past, which he gave his brother like 
almost forty thousand dollars in twenty or over forty thousand dollars in twenty nineteen dollars to go away and reinvent himself and just move on and not to have a relationship with his little brother who's this pure 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 seeming man um so like i i i think if it was someone else and he hadn't have told that story i think the fact that it's it's temporary and it's casual and he can come and go as he pleases i would agree with you but i don't know don if don would have offered that story normally mm-hmm and maybe if he is feeling like it's this this relationship is doomed to to end and that some of the freedom of it i think if he wasn't in the middle of his emotionally vulnerable men are mortal no matter how they do kind of crisis maybe that's where he's saying it but like that that's where i'm like not enthusiastically smashing like and retweet Mm -hmm. but i get where you're coming from melissa what do you think <laughs> appropriate response i don't know it's i'm you guys know i get mad at don i don't really have room as for you other should. feelings <laughs> as you should you're learning you're learning him for the first time and i mean un, i admittedly when all the this show first came out i don't think i was as mad as mad at don and now i am I all those don't other even, feelings that came in the first place, though. I don't even want to think about what 2007, excuse me, Melissa would have thought about these characters. <laughs> it's a scary prospect. <sighs> I um, don't know. I, uh, just a, a little callback to a Roger moment um, when he was talking to Don and getting his hair trimmed and his nose hairs trimmed and all that stuff. He makes a comment about Chicago. Sorry, Melissa. And he says something like, oh, it's a joke anyways. And he goes, uh-huh. sorry if you're from there. I caught that too. <laughs> sorry if you're from there. And I was like, there. one, he re- genuinely doesn't know where Don's actually from. Two. <laughs> two, it's almost just like a running gag that he doesn't even have to think about just to like bring up the fact that he doesn't know anything about Don. Yeah, he says it all the time. It's very funny. But it's also, I think, a good reminder to us, the audience, that nobody fucking knows this dude. And then he goes to Rachel and says, you know me. And we're like, what? Really? Who? And he just, like, shows up, like, with his, like, emotional and literal dick. He says, this is all there is. Oh, this is it? Not your wife and children? Yeah, his children are just like huddled together in in one bed far away because they didn't want to be alone, basically, because he's not well, there. Well, I mean, they had their because, reason, but yeah, what to me in my head. Separation. Yeah. 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 yeah no, sorry. Yeah. Um, I got all huffy in our last episode about <laughs> <laughs> um. How I didn't have any confidence in Don and Betty taking the opportunity to, you know, go forward in their marriage in a good place because he was probably just going to go in the opposite direction and start actively courting Rachel Mankin. Oh, and look at that. And it's not, and I made a joke about like he'll probably show up at her door with a jacket. And it wasn't a jacket, but it was emotional vulnerability, which is probably more currency in this scenario than a jacket. And I just wish that he would have some of that for his wife. Wouldn't that be lovely if he could just 
do that. No, his emotional vulnerability and openness just works far better for him. And I, I oh. just know Which I hate. that the next episode is going to be some, like, cute Don shit where I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe he's not so bad. Like, I'm only going to be more mad the more I keep getting played by Don <laughs> I mean, it is what's happening to so many of the characters, too. They keep getting caught up in his wake in the same way. I'm we even even Roger, even Roger, who gets charmed and is afraid of losing Don to another agency, but then Don reminds him of his own mortality, own personal mortality, and maybe he should have been taking those steps more often, frankly, on the stairs. But he get everyone, everyone falls for this trap and Don is just this like hurricane that sweeps through and wrecks shit and then just pieces out. Can we just maybe mention that the 1960s treatment for an ulcer is cream and butter? Yeah. 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 Mm. No wonder he had a heart attack. No wonder. Buddy. I have to say, I live the cream and butter life. My cholesterol is amazing. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying I don't like those things. I'm just saying I would be surprised if I went to the doctor and the doctor said, slather butter on your insides <laughs> that's what you need to be doing <laughs> well and now i think it's a good time to move to our last segment which we used to call bits and bites but annie you have changed in the notes to make a superior title which it'll now be known from from this day forward bits and bobs i bits forgot it was called bobs. bits and bites bits and i was like obviously bobs. it has to, obviously the title is bobs bits yeah. and bobs no, it's perfect <laughs> it's perfect um so i guess I will start. I wondered watching this episode because I had forgotten about Carol having feelings for for Joan. So I wonder if it was naming Carol Carol was a reference to the novel The Price of Salt, which was recently since been adapted into the Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Todd Haynes film called Carol. Um, maybe, maybe not. But it's what it made me think of, because that's how my brain works. Can't judge you on how your brain works. Uh, They mentioned the apartment, which, Matt, uh, you have suggested we watch together sometime. Anything you'd like to add about that? Um, Just that I've never seen it, and they did a way better job in the episode explaining the plot than what we asked Melissa to cut out when I butchered it earlier. So, (laughs) um, yeah, no, it's, it's a Billy Wilder film. Billy Wilder, a, a one of kind of you know the early Hollywood auteurs and co-writer and director of Double Indemnity, which is one of my favorite movies. It was also a big influence on Mad Men, and it deals with kind of similar content in a similar time period. But it is of the time period that we're talking in Mad Men, so that's why I would like to cross it off my shame list at some point. We will. Do we want to talk about JFK and Nixon and that campaign? I really laughed about them being like, God, that jingle makes you want to kill yourself because, like, I was not happy about hearing it in the episode. <laughs> Kennedy, 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 Kennedy. No, but it, yeah, no, it's interesting because it's like so positive and happy, and then Kennedy goes negative at the end, and you can kind of feel the wheels coming off of. The Nixon campaign, maybe, and Sterling Cooper is is very pro Nixon and working for Nixon, so I think that that's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So again, our our check-in in the nineteen sixty election. Yeah, I like the uh, comparison immediately thereafter to Nixon's ad, which is just him on a desk trying to look presidential, being unlike the other people want to raise your taxes and do all this other stuff. Um, but it just seemed like a very like a comparison of this of real content versus superficial, happy, hopeful, optimistic change. Mm-hmm. Not it's. I mean, it's something that we were certainly exposed to in 2000 or criticisms we heard at least uh in 2008 and i um i remember for the obama campaign they were trying to just largely stay on the more positive side as opposed to going negative and there was a a line that i really liked that i believe roger said I liked it in that it was an interesting uh, theory. He says, when you run an ad that's positive, you only convince the people who are already voting for you. So he was quite in favor of negative ads and turning people's, changing people's minds. Did we like this episode? There's a lot in it, but did we like it? I think I did. I think I did. The men made me very bad. Yeah. Like, it's basically all they did was just upset me. I was going to say, I think a lot of the character stuff that we've gotten in the past um, are paying off. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked that we got to see more uh, complexity in Joan. I do have some sympathy for her. I like to see Betty having a communications breakthrough, but on the same note i hate seeing don reward her by taking his vulnerabilities to another woman (laughs) which doesn't make for a bad episode of television it just makes me personally angry having an emotional response to the show that's a good sign even if it's mostly anger it's just a lot of anger yeah the only reason i ask is because like there were four credited writers on this episode and and it's it's always interesting when that happens. There like there there's kind of a and I don't know how the, the metrics would would bear out in this, but like a rule of thumb with Star Trek episodes, especially with like the nineties Star Trek, is like you get this whole like as it goes through the credits or after the, the title credits and like the written by and stuff, the episode has started and you'll see this whole wall of text and it's, you know, not widescreen or anything else. It's like four to three ratio. And you see like four or five or sometimes six story by written by written by and, like all these authors. Cause like they all took a crack at the story typically is what it was. So like they tend to be weaker episodes. Cause like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And so that mm-hmm. was definitely like in watching this episode and seeing it, there are the four accredited writers. I'm like, well, that's different because normally it's like two at most, right? So, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it was just they like. Well, two of these have certain... the same last name, so we could assume yeah. some they, they, they co-wrote an episode or uh, an episode earlier, right? So they're definitely writing partners. But it's like I wonder if like they assign like you can write the Betty stuff, you do the Joan stuff, and mm-hmm. then I'm mm-hmm. assuming that Weiner did the Don and and Rachel and Roger stuff potentially because the overall the story. Reveal. Yeah, just as it relates to that, and so, I mean, chew on that as you will, but, um, yeah, no, I just, there's definitely, there was a lot, but there wasn't the same kind of thematic through line as we see in some of the other kind of uh-huh. episodes, right? Not that that's good, bad, or different, just kind of different than what we've seen. I don't think it was, was clunky, but everything didn't quite 
interface super well by mm-hmm. my estimation. But no, it was definitely lots to chew on for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I do think like getting some more interior to Joan and then having yeah. like what amounts to a pretty big like plot thing happen to Roger sets us up for the last few episodes of this yeah. Definitely. So now we've got some meat to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I do appreciate, because all my memories of this show tend to be more Dawn-focused and sometimes Peggy, I appreciate even though like there are small moments for Betty and small moments for Peggy. And I mean, Joan's part is even kind of small itself too compared to all the other things. I do appreciate this running thread where you see like that female, that quiet female anger and how justified it is. So I... I'm looking forward to seeing all that play out as well as like the larger stories and um, the, the multifaceted universe of Sterling Cooper. Melissa, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. And you can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where we talk about TV shows and movies and every once in a while comic books. Annie, where can people find more of your work on the internet? You can find me on the podcast, The Daily Nightly, where we're reading through all of Jane Austen. We are just about finished right now with Sense and Sensibility. We're going to be watching the adaptations. It's going to be great. I am also on Instagram and Twitter at Pop Artery. Uh, Mostly Instagram. Matt? And you can find me on Twitter at, at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can follow the three of us together on Twitter as well at, at @stillgreatpod. Please remember to rate, review, and if you haven't already, subscribe to us um, on iTunes or Spotify or, or go to our website, stillgreatpod.com, and you can grab the RSS feed right there. Tune in next week as we discuss episode 11, Indian Summer. Bye! Tell a friend. But nothing to talk about there. We won't go down that rabbit hole. All right. Sorry, Melissa. Go ahead.